Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waldman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to a special edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. I will be your host today, Joe Oltman. Max is not going to come on. I'm going to spend this time talking to Lynn Wood, the Honorable Lynn Wood. And I know that I talked a little bit about Lynn this morning, but I want to take the time to talk to you about Lynn, but I want Lynn to be able to uh, fight back against the, the uh, kind of the brutal attacks, the takedowns that I believe they're, they're doing to Lynn, which are the same as the, take, the, the takedowns that they've done to Steve Bannon and to others. And so uh, he's going to be joining us um, over the phone. He's not going to be on video, but we'll be able to at least hear his voice. And we've got some things that we'll share with you that rebut some of the things that were said by Kyle in that interview. Now, I want to start by saying that I'm not sure that Kyle is to blame for it. Um, and this is not about Kyle's innocence or his, you know, uh, whether or not we do or don't support Kyle, because we obviously support Kyle and Lynn Wood supported Kyle. And he supported him so much that he raised enough money to, for his bail. Um, but there was some infiltration that happened by people who, for whatever reason, and I have my reasons, we'll just kind of talk about that with Lynn, uh, decided that it was, um, that they were going to take control and become the handler for um, Kyle and Wendy Rittenhouse. So welcome to the show, Lynn Wood. Lynn, welcome to the show. Joe, thanks for having me on. I sound a little tired. It's been a long day or two uh, recently. So forgive me. I'll try to get through it in good shape. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm good. You've been fighting the good fight. You've been doing a lot to uh, kind of push forward in a lot of different ways. And I just want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for being that tireless leader that has fought for our country, fought for the election in 2020, and has kept us focused, even without all the chaos that we're dealing, even despite all the chaos we're dealing with, you have been one of those people that has been constant, just a constant, uh, you know, hey, stay focused, stay um, uh, eyes forward on the goal, which is to hold those accountable for the theft of the election in 2020. Well, we've got, we've got to fix 2020 or we can't fix anything in the country. That's, that's the bottom line. Well, so let, let's, I don't want to talk about that yet, but I'm going to get to it. I, I, we got you for a little bit of time, and you and I, frankly, we've had some great conversations. Some conversations that have kept you up till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. I think our, our last one was 2 or 3 in the morning. But uh, um, well, I, we, I do, want, we do good. We, we start... We start talking about politics, we're doing pretty good, and then we start talking about Jesus, and we go two or three hours. But I love oh, every time I talk to you, Joe. You're, you're a great American, and I know what you've been doing. And uh, we need more Joe Altmans. Well, we need more Lynn Woods. Um, so so let's, start, let, let, let's start with the, um, I, you know, let, let's just start with what your thoughts were. Obviously, you got a chance to listen to what Kyle Rittenhouse said in that interview um, you know, I would, I would say, what word comes to mind? I mean, mine was disappointment. 
I was disappointed that he would say that. I was disappointed that Tucker Carlson would ask that. So if you want, if you want one word, I would say manipulated. Yeah. Somebody is uh, using this boy for an agenda. And his interview, as it relates to me, was dishonest. I don't believe, just from what little I know about him uh, and have seen about him, I don't think that Kyle Rittenhouse is a dishonest young man. But somebody is manipulating him, and I think I know who it is. It's a guy named David Hancock. And I don't know who David Hancock works for, but I think he is a deep state slash CIA uh, embed. I know he embedded himself in my property in South Carolina. And then next thing I know, he shows up with Kyle Rittenhouse. And he, David Hancock, has been on an obsessive-type agenda to falsely attack me my, using my family, my friends, my former law co- colleagues. Uh, he's been on a, a one-man mission to destroy my reputation with false lies and smears. Uh, so somebody's put him up to it. Yeah, well, and then all of a sudden he's with Kyle. And I prayed for Kyle when I found out about it. Well, one thing that I can say, Lynn, is you've always been ridiculously consistent. You've been consistent in the words that you've used. You even don't get yourself in the fray. You're like, look, I'm going to pray for, I'm going to, I'll pray for you. Right. And so, you know, Dave Hancock had one of his, uh, his uh, people reach out to me via telegram. And I told you about this and said, I want to have a conversation with you about Lynn Wood. And I was like, I'll have a conversation with you. And I called you and said, Hey, this person said that I'm going to have a conversation with Dave Hancock. And I went back and said, listen, you know, I'm willing to have the conversation. And uh, I I guess they, they, they didn't, they got cold feet, Lynn. (laughs) Dave Hancock didn't want to have a conversation with me. Well, he got on, Dave Hancock got on a Telegram uh, channel chat with Jaron Jackson. Yeah. And Jaron gave him his time and let him uh, hang himself, uh, where Dave finally admitted that his trident, his Navy SEAL trident, had been pulled. And then he posted his certificate of what he's allowed to wear. He's not allowed to wear the Navy trident. To have your trident pulled as a Navy SEAL means that you have done something seriously wrong. Uh, I have talked to his uh, chief who was in charge of him at the time he served. He had to talk to me off the record because obviously he's still in the military. He described Dave Hancock to me as a liar, a, a cheat, a liar, a fraud, and a con man. Those were his words. It had something to do with a charity that Dave tried to establish for Navy SEAL families when he was still on duty. It had something to do with government credit card fraud. And uh, they pulled his trident. He was up for a dishonorable discharge, and then he claimed to have a Valium addiction, and he ended up conning his way into a medical discharge. So he's a disgraced former Navy SEAL by his own admission and the records. I know that I'm learning that he's been involved in a company down in Puerto Rico uh, that received a lot of money for COVID supplies. And there's some questions about where those many millions of dollars went or where they tried to put them. And that's under investigation now down in Puerto Rico. I know that he's also been sued for fraud related to Free Kyle USA and the Milo Fund by a man named Gordon Ross and his company for trying to cheat Gordon after uh, he left my property 
uh, in the, at the end of October of 2020. So that's the tip of the iceberg for David Hancock. He's not an honorable man. He's not a man of integrity. And I think he's running a con of some type for somebody with respect to Kyle Rittenhouse. That's why I have consistently said pray for Kyle and Wendy Rittenhouse because they're in the hands of someone that is not going to be doing good to them and for them. Well, so so that leads me to, you know, breaking down some of the things that came out during the um, the interview, and one of the things that Kyle said that I think shocked shocked most of the people that watched it was that that you made the decision to keep Kyle in jail for an additional eighty seven days, and he used your name in in synonymous with um, Mr. Pierce. Can you give us any sort of, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I actually know, so I'm, I'm asking you a question so other people can hear this, but can you tell me if, if that was a decision that you made? That was not a decision that I made. I was not the criminal lawyer for Kyle. John Pierce was the lead criminal lawyer. There's a little bit of history with Pierce and Fight Back Foundation, but let me, let me go straight to the point, then I'll explain I had discussions with John Pierce and other lawyers who were uh, either under consideration or who initially agreed to join John Pierce's legal team for Kyle. They were engaged by Wendy Rittenhouse. Fight Back did not do anything as it relates to the practice of law. I'm not a criminal lawyer. I got involved to use Fight Back to help Kyle to pay his legal fees and expenses to the extent we could get donations. So during the course of the team being assembled and in the, in the course of the first few weeks, I was involved in conversations with the legal team members, but I had no authority other than I'm the one, I guess, through Fightback that would have approved their bills, and we paid their bills as they were submitted to Fightback, hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to help Kyle. Now, did you ever question any of those bills, Lynn? I questioned John Pierce's bill. Yeah. And we ended up having to settle uh, one of them where he thought he was overbilling us. So not so only yeah, were you... Bill. So, so you, you were being a good steward of the capital inside of Fight Back. Well, we have to be. We, I set up... It was interesting because a lawyer, a tax lawyer in Texas named Lawson Pedigo and John Pierce approached me to ask me to serve as co-counsel in a defamation case for Dr. Carter Page in Delaware against O, doing business, I think, is Yahoo. I agreed to do it because I knew about uh, Dr. Page. I'll call him Carter, if you don't mind. I knew about Carter's case. I told him I didn't really have an active law firm, but I would be glad to use my 20-some years, 25 years of experience in defamation law to give them strategy and, if necessary, to come in and use some of my trial lawyer skills if they wanted me to chop up a witness or two. <laughs> so I agreed to do that. And then John and Lawson asked me if they could use my hashtag fightback, which I had been using on Twitter, because they wanted to form a foundation to fight for the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I said, sure, you can use it. And they said, well, would you like to join the foundation? I said, you know, I believe we're in the process of a color revolution. Our Constitution's going to be threatened. We're going to need to advocate for it in the future so we never get to this position again. 
And so I said I would do it. They managed to get me to pay the first $50,000 to fund the foundation. Shortly after the foundation was formed, people on social media started posting things asking me to step in and try to help Kyle Rittenhouse. I'm not a criminal lawyer, but I had fight back up and running, and we had other two other directors, one of which was also a tax lawyer. And so we voted as a board to help him. It was consistent with our mission to protect the Constitution, our Bill of Rights. Obviously, Kyle's case was a significant Second Amendment case, the right of self-defense. So we agreed to do it. We started letting people know that we were doing it. We did not do it specifically for Kyle, but we were telling people on our website that we were going to help Kyle. So that's how I initially got involved with Kyle Rittenhouse. As it turned out, when I got involved and said I'd help try to get a legal team together, John Pierce said, well, I'm the guy because I have great experience in this area, federal prosecutor. And I said, okay. And the board said, fine. But we told John he had to resign and sever all ties with Fight Back because we could not have a conflict of interest where he was being paid by Fight Back for his representation of Kyle and Wendy Rittenhouse in the criminal matter. He resigned. So then we went forward. John had the discussions initially because Kyle turned himself in in Illinois. He lived, I believe, in Antioch. He was jailed initially in a juvenile facility. Now, if you go back in time to the fall of 2020, the country was in an uproar. I think everyone had concerns that there may be violence going into the election or violence after the election. There were social media posts where Black Lives Matter and others were basically saying, tell us what cell this Rittenhouse guy's in and we'll kill him. So in the discussions that I was a party to without having any authority, because I wasn't the criminal lawyer, there were discussions about John's theory or approach to leave Kyle in Illinois, where he was safely in a juvenile facility, segregated, while John said his strategy was to file a habeas corpus petition, which he said he thought would be successful. I didn't know. I'm not a criminal lawyer. I did not disagree with that. In fact, I thought it was a good idea because I thought he was safer in the Illinois facility than he would be if he was over in Kenosha, where he would be in general population or in a regular cell for adults. So John's strategy was to fight the habeas, pursue it. He told us that if he lost it, he could appeal it, which would give Kyle more time safely to be in the juvenile facility. So we go forward from there. This is the criminal lawyer's decisions. I know about them, but I'm not making them. The next thing I heard was John called and said that the habeas corpus had been denied And before he could file a notice of appeal, they had whisked Cal out of Illinois and taken him to Kenosha. Kenosha is where he had to go to be arraigned in order to qualify to meet a $2 million cash bond. So once we realized they had scooped him over and taken him to Kenosha, 
the foundation decided to focus on re- reaching the goal of getting $2 million for his bail, cash bail, as quickly as we could. So we put a specific donate button on the Fight Back page to donate to Kyle. Within a matter of maybe three weeks, we raised $1.25 million, earmarked for Kyle's bail, because we wanted to get him out of the general cell in Kenosha, they told me, as quickly as possible for his safety. Fight Back went in and took $600,000 of its general funds, which brought us up to $1,850,000. Then I was told that Ricky Schroeder, the actor, would be willing to make a donation and might make up the difference of the $150,000. I talked to Ricky Schroeder. I didn't know him before then. He said he would put the money up, but he wanted to loan it to the foundation. So the foundation had to sign a promissory note. And then he said he wanted me, Len Wood, to personally guarantee the note. I did so. I did it because I was willing to do what it would take to get to the $2 million to get Kyle out of that jail. We got the money together. It came in, I believe, into my bank account. In full, we got to the $2 million figure right around November the 20th. We wired that money to John Pierce's trust account for Pierce Bainbridge, his law firm. We did that because John told us that, and this is in writing, that we had two choices. We could hand deliver the money to Kenosha, or we could wire it to him in trust as our agent so he could write a certified check to the clerk of the court in Kenosha. Well, we weren't going to drive it up there, fly it up there. Of course, we said, we'll put it in your escrow account. You, as our agent, pay the, the bail. He did so. Kyle was released. I thought we had done a heck of a job in a short period of time to not only get the bail up, but to also put in additional six, almost $700,000 toward his fees, his investigator fees, tens of thousands of dollars, and a $60,000 payment we made to a company called Elevate. Lynn, we just, we just, are you there, Lynn? Going to step away real quick to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Liberty Cigars. Liberty Cigars is a Patriot-owned business with an extensive line of historically-themed individual cigars and cigar collections, including the Commander Series, the Founder Series, and the President Series. All of their packaging is proudly made in the USA by American workers, and it's a truly unique gift for both cigar and history lovers alike. So here's the deal. When you go to LibertyCigars.com and use promo code BEFREE, B-E-F-R-E-E, any order over $76 is going to receive a free additional Benedict Arnold cigar. That's right, a free cigar added on top. Now, this is the perfect gift for your traitorous liberal family members or friends or just for anyone or smoke it yourself. Again, go to LibertyCigars.com and use promo code BEFREE, B-E-F-R-E-E, to get a free Benedict Arnold cigar added to all orders over $76. We just got cut off. Yeah, we just lost him. Let me get him back. One okay, second. get him back on. So, guys, we're going to show you something while Lynn is um, coming back, and that is the document. And this is the document of the financial. Go ahead and put that up, Mr. Producer. So, we'll go ahead. Go ahead and put up the this one right. No, the other one. The other one. Put the other one. No, the other one. Sorry, forget what I just said. That one. Okay. If you guys will look at this, and if those of you are listening to it in the audio version, you won't be able to see this. 
But this is an accounting of all of the donations and monies that came in from uh, for Fight Back. Now, I want to just tell you that Lynn is, has been a, a trial attorney for 40 years. He has had an impeccable reputation for all of those years. And if you'll look here on this, in this uh, column, you'll see the consulting for $60,000. That was to create the video that was used in the trial. Then you have um, legal expenses, $359,186, and then Rittenhouse on 1130 wrote another check for 48000 and then a reimbursement on 1231 at the end of the year for another uh, $61,916.15, bringing the total legal fees that were paid on behalf of Kyle Rittenhouse to $469,130.79. His consulting, which was, there was another 92000 that was paid to other firms, um, bringing that total to $152,111.39. You'll see the bail line that shows $2 million. That money went to John Pierce's uh, escrow account. And then you'll have some other incidentals, which are donation fees. So uh, for Cornerstone and uh, merchant fees, um, that total bringing it to, for Kyle Rittenhouse, to $2,627,061.04. We have hey, Lynn Joe, back you on. there? Yeah, sorry about that, Lynn. I was just where, explaining. Where, did, where, did, where, where was I when the call got dropped? You, you dropped off with the $60,000 that was paid for uh, consulting. That was for the video that was used at trial. That was Elevate Films. Yes. Yep. So once we, put, once we sent the money to John as our agent, and he paid the bail. The next thing I know, Kyle got out. I got pictures of uh, Kyle with John and Ricky Schroeder. And I think I spoke very briefly to him on the phone at that time. I, I recall one specific call while he was in juvenile. I think I may have said something to him briefly when he was first released. Shortly thereafter, John Pierce called uh, me and told fight back that he did not, the family did not want us to be involved in any further efforts to make donations to Kyle and to stop using his name or any way trying to raise money for him that the John was going to take it over. We said, fine. We pulled down all the references to Kyle on our website. We, we had done our job. I thought we'd done a good job. So I had no problems with him telling us he was going to do it himself. At that time, he also asked me, to withdraw an engagement that they had asked me to enter into with Wendy to represent Kyle in defamation cases after the criminal case. The only thing I had done for him was to write a demand letter for retraction to Joe Biden's campaign. I had planned to write one to Facebook for Zuckerberg calling him a mass murderer, but I was relieved of my responsibility. So when they asked me to let John, John said he was going to take that over too. I sent Wendy a letter and withdrew formally my representation. So we were done at that point in time at the end of November with the donate fight back and with me as a potential uh, future defamation lawyer. The next thing I heard, and, and there's a history between Hancock and, and, and me uh, we could go into, but let me just keep going chronologically forward. Yeah. The next thing I heard, sometime around the end of December or the 1st of January, Dave Hancock asked me if I would 
put a reference to Free Kyle USA on my then Twitter page to help them get attention to their fund. I said yes. I was trying to help him still, even though I had learned that after Dave Hancock had been uh, terminated from being on my property in South Carolina at the end of October, he had hacked our fight back domain in the middle of November, and I had someone at the time, an independent firm, looking into it. I did not know, but I had subsequently learned that Dave Hancock stole the fight back donor list. And that's confirmed by a gentleman named Gordon Rose, who Dave apparently retained to do some work for Kyle Free Kyle USA and the Milo Fund. But I didn't know that at the time when I spoke to Hancock and agreed to put the posting up for Free Kyle USA. What I had learned in the interim was that after Pierce got out, I obviously learned that in came David Hancock and that he was literally, I'm told, living across the street or with the Rittenhouse family. So he has been involved directly with the Rittenhouse family from at least, I would estimate, December until the present date. Knowing the history that I had with David Hancock on my property for a few months in the summer, it raised concerns. So what we learned was that John Pierce, when he paid the bail. He told the clerk in a form that he, John Pierce, was paying the $2 million and that it should be returned to John Pierce at his home address. Hello? John is Pierce that, didn't raise normal, the money or Lynn? post the bail. Lynn, is, is that, that normal? normal? Yeah, is that normal? No, that's illegal. <laughs> that's fraud. <laughs> a theft, one of the two. So when we found out about that, we immediately, after we had to get a lawyer, we were able to get a notice filed to the clerk informing the clerk that it was Fightback Foundation that had paid the bail and the money needed to be returned to Fightback. In the process of this time period, Lawson Pedigo had conversations that I was not involved in, but on behalf of Fightback, Lawson was talking to Mark Richards. He was talking to Robert Barnes, who had gotten involved, I think, in trying to help Kyle. And we were trying to let them know that after the bail was returned, after the trial, that since we had earmarked and received $1.25 million on the donate button for specifically Kyle, that Fightback would still be willing to look at any unreimbursed attorney's fees or unpaid attorney's fees or, or other expenses in connection with the case. That, those conversations ended. No one called Lawson back, so there was no resolution to that. Obviously, we get closer now to the trial, and right back then, had a lawyer be prepared to file a motion for the return of the bail. And the next thing I know, I'm being accused of trying to steal $2 million from Kyle Rittenhouse. Are you kidding me? And so from there, we get to the trial, and we get to Kyle being, I think, properly acquitted. And then I learned that sometime between noon, when the acquittal came in, sometime Friday afternoon, in time for Fox News and Tucker Carlson to promo with video of the interview, Kyle's going to do an interview. Nobody asked me about it. It wasn't my business. (laughs) I then learned 
that in fact Kyle gave an interview and accused me of being responsible for keeping him in jail for 87 days. That is errant nonsense. And then accused me of misusing or stealing $2 million from him. That is a blatant lie. So I don't know who put this boy up to it. I don't know all that has been going on behind the scenes, but I know this. <clears throat> Fight Back is a not-for-profit foundation. Yes. We've made donations to other worthy causes. Nobody takes a salary. We spent a total of $2.7 million on Kyle for his bail, his attorney's fees, investigators, the Elevate Films uh, project, uh, that we video that we did, which I think helped his lawyers a lot, and the bail money. And so we spent 2.7, and we raised two million dollars total from start to finish, from essentially September to the end of November. So I'm, my own belief is that if I had not gotten behind with the name of Fight Back to get the bond as quickly as we did. I'm not sure the boy would have ever gotten out of jail before the trial. There's no way he would and have. And to hear him say that we held him in jail for 87 days, if, if I had been raising money for his bail from day one, even 87 days wouldn't be long to get up the bail. But I didn't focus on the bail until John said we got it. they've taken him to Kenosha, and we raised 1.25 in less than 30 days to get him out. So the idea that I was involved in any way in keeping Kyle Rittenhouse in jail is just fiction. It, 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 it's, it's an egregious lie designed only to falsely smear me. So well, that's, and, that brings us to where we are today. I'm still, yeah. I'm still fighting now this nationwide Kyle Rittenhouse accusation of wrongdoing, focusing more on me than John Pierce when John Pierce was the criminal lawyer and I was not. And, what and, can you I say? Used, and you used fight back. You focused in on Kyle. You knew this was a Second Amendment issue. You're a trial attorney. You've been very successful your entire career. You have a spotless reputation going back decades. Decades. 45 years. And all of a sudden, they start, they, you know, they, they ask you for help. You take this, this very large reach that you have and you're like look we need to stand up and take care of kyle we need to stand up for this family he did what he was supposed to do they were terrorizing the community they were going to kill him he stood up he stood his ground and men died and 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 and, I, and and you did all of this with with nothing in return nobody came to you and said hey we're gonna we're gonna take care of you lynn and i've i've known you i know you well enough to know that money is not a motivator for you. You just wanted to, to reach in and help. You wanted, you were authentic, you were genuine. And this is what you got well, in return. You got the, the, the massive lie, the deep state that, that put this attack upon you. I'll call it the deep state because I think that's what it was. I think it was too. Now, I had announced a couple of years ago in Thanksgiving, in fact, two years ago, that I intended to semi-retire. I was done after 44 years at the time with the practice of yeah. law. <laughs> Practicing law in the present environment with the lawyers out for money and the judges. <laughs> just, I was tired of it. I had fought the battles. I, had a, I thought a, I was proud of my career. I had not a blemish on my record. I had done, done some tough cases and won some big battles. 
but I was going to semi-retire and finish the Nicholas Salmon litigation. I had eight cases to finish with Nicholas. They were essentially the same issue. And then I was going to retire. When I took on the saying I would do the defamation for Kyle Rittenhouse, it, it wasn't something I really wanted to do, but I was willing to do it because I know that in terms of the lawyers that know defamation law, without describing my own self, I know that I was well-known around the nation as a very successful First Amendment defamation lawyer for the plaintiffs. So I was willing to help Kyle. I wasn't looking to do it. So the only reason that we got involved was it was consistent with the Fight Back Foundation's mission. And obviously, we wanted to help Kyle. And for that, what really bothers me is that this idea that Lynn Wood somehow misappropriated money or mishandled and mistreated this boy is a heinous accusation. I never would do that. Check my record. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I try to help other people. I don't put myself first. I put myself second or even third if necessary. But it bothered me because it defamed and besmirched the reputation of hashtag Fight Back Foundation and the people, the thousands of people that had dug into their pockets, 10, 20, 50, $100 to help meet that boy's needs legally and then specifically to help him get out of jail as quickly as we could. So I'm not, I'm not happy about what they said about me. Well, but I only care about God's feelings about my reputation. If somebody else wants to tear it down, if as long as God knows it and he, he's good with it, I'm good with it. But it besmirched the efforts and the contributions that thousands of people made to Kyle Rittenhouse, and that much I don't like one bit. Well, I, you know, one of the one of the viewers that is listening right now. Um, said that uh, there's not any talk of, of John Pierce. The only conversations they have on Twitter is about Lynn Wood. And Lynn, you've been standing up for election fraud and election integrity since the beginning. You know, one of the most brilliant lawsuits to be brought that was brought in Georgia was, was crafted by you. It probably had the most promise. I mean, if you want to look at having all of the, the I's dotted, T's crossed, and that case was dismissed. But you have been a tireless and unselfish fighter for the American people. And Well, and I remember, remember this, Joe, too, and I'll say this. When I took on the Richard Jewell case in 1996, I had done medical malpractice for the plaintiffs for about 20 years. I was tired of it. And then Richard's case came to me, and I spent 16 years, five years after he died, fighting for him. You just stole my so thunder. in 1996. You just stole my thunder. In well, in, well I, I'll give you the thunder back. In 1996, <laughs> I took on the FBI, and I was aggressive. Somebody wrote a book and said the FBI loathed Lynn Wood. I was ruthless going after them for what they did to Richard. And I took on the fake media. So I like to tell people that I was exposing the deep state and the fake media 25 years ago before exposing the deep state and, and the fake media was cool. So I'm not, I've never been on the top 10 list of invitees to anybody's party in any major media outlet in this country. They don't like me. They never like to see my name on a pleading because they knew that I knew what I was doing. I have had significant success against CNN three times, the Washington Post, the New York Post, CBS. I, I, I'm, I'm a known entity. So 
So without even getting into the election fraud part of the matter, I'm sure they wanted to take me out of any potential lawsuits against the media. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I was going to retire anyway. But I did get involved heavily for the first time in my life as an adult in the 2020 election. I was an independent. I had made some contributions to Democrats who were either friends, partners, or colleagues of mine, but I was an independent. Always almost 75 or more percent of the time voting Republican. But I didn't have a, 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 I just wasn't a political person. In 2020, I became a political person because I saw what was going on in this country. I thought we were going into a color revolution with a fake election. I wrote about it in the summer of 2020. Because Biden wasn't campaigning, I thought we were going to have a color revolution with a disputed election that would then result in street violence. That's the definition of a color revolution. I, I was right, although we haven't quite gotten to the street violence part of it yet. We may still. So, Lynn, Because you can't take over a country unless you take it over physically. You've got to beat the military or take control of the military. And I have concerns about the future in that regard, but that's another story for another day. The point is, I got politically involved. I made donations to Republican candidates that were Trump people around the country. I made a significant donation that I was told was for President Trump of $375,000. They asked me for three hundred. dollars I gave him three seventy-five. I believed in President Trump. I found out later that money didn't go to President Trump. It went to Republican parties around the country in the seven swing states. What about that? Interesting. I'm in the process of telling them I want my money back because I think they defrauded me. They told me it was for Trump and it was not. But nonetheless, I was trying to get Richard Jewell the Presidential Medal of Freedom posthumously. I thought he deserved it. I had somewhat of a, of a public relations campaign to try to get the president's attention. I did. He invited me to come to the White House on March the 11th to discuss with him the Richard Jewell Medal. said he had to talk to me before he could make a final decision, and he said I would need to agree to talk with him about a couple of other issues. I didn't know what they were. This podcast is sponsored by Air Med Care Network, the premier insurance plan to cover you and your household should any of you suffer a medical emergency and need to be airlifted to a hospital. We don't get to choose when a disaster strikes. You don't get to choose how you get taken to the hospital. Anyone who has been taken to a hospital or has a loved one who's gone to a hospital by ambulance, you know it's very expensive and you know insurance won't usually cover it. Well, when you have to be airlifted by a helicopter, it's much more expensive. And yeah, insurance won't cover that either. Air Med Care Network exists to make sure you don't risk bankruptcy in the event that someone in your house has to be airlifted to a hospital for medical treatment. So when you sign up at the link in our description, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily, not only are they going to give you coverage for your entire household for one year for $85, but they're also going to give you money back up to 50 bucks, depending on how many years you sign up for. So again, that's airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily to get up to $50 back. So I went up and met with the president on March the 11th, the day the worldwide pandemic was declared by the World Health Organization. I saw Fauci outside the Situation Room. I looked at him and I said, man, that guy's the devil. Luckily, I didn't run into Mike Pence. I would have looked at him and said he was the devil, too. But nonetheless, I met with the president. So I was I was now known not only for the media work I had done, particularly of recent vintage, the Nicholas Salmon case, where I ended up settling significant cases for Nicholas against CNN and the Washington Post. 
but I was now a known entity that was a supporter financially and otherwise of President Trump. So how they got me in their gun sites, you know, do the research, connect the dots, draw your own conclusion. Then when the election occurred and it, I saw the theft, I was asked to speak at the Georgia Republican Party headquarters in November. I went down. I gave a speech. I Listen, people can judge how I give speeches, but it was fiery. I said there'd been fraud. There was a storm cloud approaching this country, and we had to fix it. I noticed after the speech that I wasn't really well received by Rona McDaniel and Sonny Perdue. They wouldn't shake my hand. I went into the meeting to see if I could help the president, and his lawyers didn't seem to know what they were doing. The Republican Party lawyers didn't seem to know what they were doing. It was like, who's on first, who's on second? I looked at the law and decided the Georgia election was unlawful because the changes made in the election procedures were undertaken in a consent deal between the Georgia Secretary of State and the Democratic Party, never approved by the state legislature. That violates black-letter established law. So I, on my own, got a lawyer and filed a lawsuit as the plaintiff. Subsequently, I filed another lawsuit myself because I found out my lawyer was not really on my team. There's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing. So I ended up taking the first case up on appeal when he took it in a direction. I didn't make, didn't make any sense, and it got dismissed. I took it on myself. I also then myself filed as plaintiff a lawsuit in connection with the Georgia Senate runoff in January under the guise of the law being that if the November election was illegal, which it was, then the runoff was illegal. I tried to enjoin it. I lost. That case is still pending in the 11th Circuit. We just lost an en banc review. And in the next 60 days, we're going to go back up and try again on certiorari to the United States Supreme Court. So now you've got me where I am in November. Sidney Powell called me and asked if she could come to my property in South Carolina. I was still a resident of Georgia, but I had bought property in South Carolina in April of uh, 2020 and bring some folks to work on the election. I said, sure, I'm a patriot. And then when she got here on her Friday, she told me Mike Flynn would be here on Sunday. I said, General Flynn? <laughs> I had talked to him direct messaging on Twitter starting in the summer of 2020. He reached out to me. I was honored to have him. He brought a team of people in here. All of them ended up staying four to six weeks working, turned my, turned my, my house here into what looked like the election central. I didn't care. I wanted to help anybody that was trying to fix 2020. Now when I look back on things, another story for another day, I have serious concerns about what Sidney Powell and General Flynn were doing here because of the people I now have learned were here in terms of knowing more about them. So all of a sudden, Sydney, well, Sydney and I decided to do a press conference. We set it up at Wills Park. It was in the very first part of December. It's a press conference. People remember when I said it's 1776 again in America. Yep. It is. So all of a sudden, I am under attack. I told somebody, somebody said, they're going after you harder than they are President Trump. I said, well, I think you're right. They pulled me off Twitter in January, the same day they pulled off the president. I had about 1.2 million followers. I got on Parler. I went up to 1.7 million. They threw me off Parler. 
they tried to blame me in the media for being responsible for January 6th. I had nothing to do with January 6th. I didn't go there. I don't know how it was organized. The next thing I know, I'm getting sued by bar grievance committees all over the country for lawsuits I didn't even know I was involved in. Sydney had put my name on lawsuits in Michigan and Wisconsin. I didn't know it. I had told her I would help her if she needed a trial lawyer. She asked me to get formally into Arizona. I did, and two days later it was dismissed. That's odd. Then a judge boots me out of the Carter Page case after I had told him I would withdraw on January the 11th with an order that all of a sudden starts saying it was likely that I had instigated January the 6th. This is the twilight zone. But I think it was planned by Mark Elias of Perkins Coie as a way to attack the election lawyers who were trying to support Trump and investigate the election. The mistake Mr. Mark Elias made is he didn't know that Lynn Wood was going to be one of the lawyers because I'm a trial lawyer and I'll take him into the alley and do a street fight. If I have to, I will never give up. These are false charges brought against me around the country. I think I know now what happened to me and how I got drugged into it intentionally to besmirch my name. But I've been under fire now for a year plus, almost constantly, daily. They've examined every aspect of my life and made false accusations. They've drug up everything I ever did and thrown it back at me. I got nothing to hide. I confess my sins to God. You can't attack my past. I've been forgiven. I've never seen such an attack. It made me think, man, how did Trump put up with this for four and a half years? Every day. So now we move forward. And that brings us pretty much into what I just went over with you and how Fight Back got started. And we got into the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Up until here we are today, we're now on Tucker Carlson, who never called me. Fox News never called me and asked me about any aspect of that Rittenhouse interview. That is an ambush, mockingbird media propaganda hit piece. If it wasn't, they would have put me on there and let me tell my side of the story, but they weren't interested in the truth being told. So it was an intentional effort to smear my name, and I'm not going to sit back and take it. I named my, my hashtag was fight back because all of my life as a lawyer, I've been a fighter for truth to achieve justice. I'm not going to let them do this to me because if they do it to me after my 45 year career, watch out every other lawyer in this country. Because if they can get me, they'll get every one of them on their own time period. So I've been fighting my rear end off, not because I cared about my career. I was done, not because I care about my reputation. That's good with God. I've been fighting because I was concerned about what was happening in this country because today it's me. Tomorrow it's going to be you. Now, that that makes me somehow, I guess, the enemy of enemies. I know who the enemy is. It's the devil. But it certainly in this world, in this earth, makes me the enemy of the people that tried to steal our presidential election and get control of our military as the commander-in-chief. They've almost, over the two, two decades of selecting candidates through a rigged system, starting after the Chad deal in 2000, where they went to the computer voting to solve the Chad situation, which I think was self-created for purposes that were planned. I don't think we've elected a person in, in almost two decades. They've been selected. Well, yeah, the whole thing's been rigged. Up and but down. But that's another story for another day, too. But here I am looking at my country, 
and I want to say this, Joe, and I don't say it for any other reason than it's the absolute truth. Yep. I grew up in a family of domestic violence. I spent a lot of nights as a young boy running to neighbors' homes getting the police. I found my refuge as a teenager in school and in the church. I came home at age 16. My mother was beaten brutally to death by my father. I think I turned my back on God at that point in time and thought I had to do it myself. I didn't have any money. My mother went to the morgue. My father went to prison. I didn't know if I had a shirt on my back because my family was not of money and they had mortgaged the household goods. I didn't have a dime in my pocket, except what I guess what was in my pocket. I probably had a few bucks. I remember when the police left my mother and father's home, I knew that I would turn the lights out and I wouldn't have a place to live. This is the end of part one. Make sure you tune in for part two of the interview.